Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. today and I just like went off about um watching scenes from a marriage and I was triggered AF and you are not alone in your triggering I can't tell you how many people I have heard talk about this and they're like it's hard to watch oh. I felt like in my body such oh. a strong reaction um what you were sort of bringing forward was the idea that this seems to be about a mother who um in an attempt to sort of claim some sense of self that she feels like she has lost leaves her husband and child in a really abrupt painful way um mm -hmm. and I was saying how often what I'm aware of and what I have read is that there's very little that we feel more contempt around as a society than the possibility of a woman leaving her children or doing something other than like fully showing up for her children. Um, it feels impossible for us to wrap our heads around why you would do that, how you could possibly do that. And yet what we know is that postpartum depression, um, depression in mothers is something that is not only so rampant, but not talked about um, because of this, because of like, we know how society feels about us. Mm -hmm. If we feel discontent in this role of motherhood, do you know what I mean? Well, right. So it's like, you know, the, the wild swing of emotions that I felt when I was watching this. So it's a three-part series for those of you all who don't know, it's like the first of the three, I'm like right there with both of them, but with her and I'm like empathizing and I can totally feel like what she's going through. And then the second episode, I'm like, I hate this woman's guts. Like I was mm. so activated and so triggered by just like, just felt like so much selfishness and so much, you know, um, self-absorption, honestly. Uh, and then in the third, I still felt that way because she, they really do a really good job of like kind of this kind of self-absorption continuing to pop up, um, where I was like, Oh, like, I want to like you, but you keep doing this thing that just feels so self-absorbed to me. Um, but then there was a moment where I, you know, I was telling you before we started recording, like I, I did sit down and I was talking with my partner, with John after this. And I was like, I'm holding these two very, very opposing feelings and thoughts right now. One obviously being like, I hate this woman, right? And the other, and she's self-absorbed. And the other one being women have been conditioned for fucking eons to constantly self-abandon, to put everybody else ahead of them, including their children, right? And like, you are literally not worthy as a human being if you choose yourself. That's right. Right? And so it was like, how do I, and this, I mean, look, this is the work of being human, honestly, which is the work of how do I hold these two vastly opposing truths, even like internal feelings that I'm having and not have to make either one of them wrong, but like know that I can feel both of them and there's space for both of them. And they, and they both are bringing something up in me that can be worthy of like being looked at. There's information in there for me. There's learning in there for me. Right. Totally. Um, and then not just for me, but then obviously for me, it turns into the collective, like society at large. And how do we support people? Because I think the reason why this particular show has been so triggering for so many people is because first of all, the acting is like 
mind blowingly good. Like there was not one point where they took me out of character or took me Mm -hmm. out of scene. I mean, there just wasn't, it was amazing. But also I think it's so real. It's so real, you know, like so many people have experienced similarities in their lives. So I don't know. Well, absolutely. And, you know, to be honest, it's not just, first of all, so many thoughts about what you just Mm -hmm. said, because I thought what you just said was so profound, but first of all, I think that anytime I have such a strong emotional reaction to something in someone else, a judgment in someone else, it is like glaring mirror in front of me of some disowned aspect of myself. Oh, totally. Some part of me that I either will not allow myself or I have judgment of myself around, or I'm I'm like really in an internal battle with Mm -hmm. that I'm looking to reconcile. So to your point, it's information to like Mm -hmm. get curious about these two like conflicting views, right? Or just a childhood wound, right? Like I I think I realized that too. Like it, it could also not necessarily be something about well, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking two different things at once, but also like the childhood wounding for me, and I'll get really vulnerable and transparent here. Like for me, it really brought up like being raised by a very young single parent, single mom, Mm -hmm. and like not only feeling so many times that she wanted nothing more than to leave, but also being told that honestly, in a lot of her weakest moments, like being told that she wanted nothing more than to leave and never come back. And like, whether or not she quote unquote meant that or not, obviously verbalizing that to your children is hard for that kid to hear, right? And then you carry that with you forever as like, oh, it's my fault. She's unhappy. It's my fault. She doesn't like her life. It's my fault. She wants to leave. If I was better, maybe she'd want to stay. Ooh, I'm getting emotional. Yes. And what we can hold and understand as adults and certainly as therapists now is the differentiation between a feeling, a thought that I have and the truth of how I feel. And what we both know is that you are your mother's world, how much she loves you, that that was a feeling that she had in certain moments. Was it horrible that she said it out loud and you internalized it as some sort of truth about how she felt? Yeah, right. But as we both know, as mamas, there's a million moments where I fall short and I'm like, fuck, what did I just do? What is, how is he going to experience that? How is he going to feel about that? You know, that I think is the difficult thing about human beings raising human beings, you know, is that yeah. we all have our own traumas, our own pain, our own moments that we feel alone and abandoned and scared and overwhelmed. And sometimes it comes out in words, but if there's a child there who has you know, an egocentric way of experiencing the world, then everything's my fault. Because a child mm-hmm. can't say, oh, mom's just flooded about them. feelings yeah. today. She's overwhelmed. She's not, she doesn't really mean that. Yeah. That's what she's saying in this moment, but that's not the truth of how she feels. A child thinks this is because I am ruining her life or I'm too much, you know? And I, of course, you know, we've both talked about this. I had that story for so much of my life. I thought my mom had an amazing life before I came along and ruined the whole thing. Like I remember my husband saying to me at one point, oh my God, like you think you ruined your mother's life. You think she was like this incredible flight attendant traveling the world. And then you came and you ruined it. And I was like, Well, yeah, kind of, you know, because a child experiences things through the little tidbits of information that they get and how they process it. They make meaning of that, but they don't know the whole trajectory of the story and what's happening, you know, in the adult world that that we understand now as adults, like we understand all the complexity of trying to make a life with someone and, you know, what it is to raise children and what it is to have no sleep, as Mm -hmm. you were just saying when you have a child and that sometimes I feel in this moment, like I hate my life 
big picture, that's not how I feel. You know, that's not the truth of what is mm-hmm. actually happening for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, so, you know, I'm holding that thing that like, obviously still, I watched that like f- the second part, like four days ago. And here we are still, it's still bringing up emotion. Yeah. And also, like I said, so last night when I watched part three, I was like, God, I actually also see this woman, you know, and I see like mm-hmm. she was, she was dead inside. I mean, she, she communicates all this, but like she was dead inside. She lost herself. She wasn't in love, yada, yada, like all these things. And it was just so glaringly obvious to me, the patriarchal structure that we live in and, and how, you know, and you said it really well, which is like men get to leave. I'm, now look, I don't say men get to like, we might still feel, deadbeat dads, right? Yeah. And we might feel anger, run, but we don't feel anger. the venom that we feel if a woman a leaves. leaves. Yeah. Like it's different. Like we'll say, yeah, men like deadbeat, a-hole, whatever. But if a woman leaves her child, you know, we were talking about revolutionary road and how I remember in that movie, it's a lot of what we're talking about. But at the end, the only option she has is to kill herself because you don't leave your children. Right. Um, which is actually like the ultimate form of leaving your children, but fair enough. Yeah. But that is how, you know, um, powerless, like hopeless. Desperate. Yeah, exactly. You know, when we think about this, this thing of self-abandonment, I, I'm just fascinated how much, and I think you just did such a beautiful job of integrating what is coming up for us a lot of times as women in these moments that I feel like we feel contempt towards other women. Some of the mm-hmm. venom, what we're talking about is us like stronger than anyone else, um, our internalized patriarchal wounding, because I mean, how many women have you heard speak with such contempt about eat, pray, love or untamed, right? And just like, they're just so selfish. They're just so all about themselves and their world and their experience and disgust. And I'm like, yeah. Men have been writing stories like that since I the mean, time. Thank and you. Going on adventures and look, Carl Jung. I mean, the whole thing, right? Like the only reason Jung was the was who he was is because he had a wife that played her wifely duties and kept the children from bothering him. And he also had a girlfriend for 20 years who helped him intellectually, right? And read everything and edited everything and pontificated with him for the sake of his publications, not for her own sake. Mm. I mean, yeah, she was brilliant, obviously. And she ended up being his partner in a lot of his work, but like, it's not like her name is on any of his shit. You know what I mean? It's not like, like we're quoting him in our little Instagram or her in our Instagram. Right, boxes. exactly. So, you know, even somebody that, that, you know, I respect and revere, I mean, I can still look at and say like, and you know, he actually did his own, his own version of work around this, of the realization of like, oh shit, I really have been drinking in the patriarchal poison, right? Hmm. But yeah, even somebody as brilliant like that, I mean, would not be who he was without the women in his life. Yeah. And like, what, what did they get out of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is why this work matters so much to us because I feel like the common thread of what I am seeing and what I believe we are being called to heal as a society in this moment is the disconnection from self. And especially, I mean, obviously I'm a woman, so this is why I feel like such Mm -hmm. a pull towards it in women, such a part of my own story, but it's just, um, you know, like this idea that like, if I reclaim myself, if I say like, I see what this patriarchal structure has been teaching me and why it wants Mm -hmm. to keep me small and questioning myself and feeling shame and feeling like I'm not allowed to do all of these things that men are allowed to fully embody and be. Um, If I reclaim that, 
then I'm, I may be viewed as a monster mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's and danger I, in that. For sure. I want to say it cause it's real because, you know, I was just having a conversation with a client yesterday about how much like we hold ourselves back because some part of us instinctually knows what the backlash will be. And we're right. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of times by men, backlash by women, backlash by women, like even like it's so subtle, you know, I was talking to this client about how the subtlety of like, when you become a single mom, the way you were experienced by the other parents is a little mm-hmm. bit different, mm-hmm. right? Is she a threat? Is she happy? Like what's going mm-hmm. on with her? It's just, you're all of a sudden a different person and it's energetic, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, mean, I, I feel so- my own version of that, not being married. Right. Absolutely. Being the mom that's not married, not quote unquote single, but like, obviously I don't have a ring on my finger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that there's, there's all these ways that like, on the one hand, we'll feel some kind of way about if I attempt to be a little bit more free and authentic Mm -hmm. and true to the life that I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be living. But then the alternative to that is all of the people I work with who are in these lives that don't feel true to who they are and mm-hmm. um they feel trapped like, they feel dead they feel rage yeah. they feel all the resentment all the things it's like a walking death yeah. you know there's no life in my life who am i i have no idea can we choose a middle ground <laughs> what's the middle ground <laughs> i mean does it have to be like i don't know i mean I struggle with that, you know, it's like, and I think going back to um, scenes from marriage, like, I think what John said last night was, he kind of nailed it. And he's like, I think if she had chosen the same path, the same actions, like the same outcome, but the way that she did it was slightly different. Mm. I think the feeling around her would be different. And I'm sure there's a purpose, obviously, in the way that they chose that was to elicit such a big kind of emotion in, in a viewer. But I don't know. I mean, you know, if we're talking about how it mimics real life, you do get to a place where you feel like you have no other alternative, right? That's it. It's this or nothing. And you used the word desperate before, which I think is important, right? You said when you feel like you're drowning in whatever way, you feel desperate to come up for air. And I'm from what you're describing, I'm sure that's how she felt. Like, I don't know how, like most of us are terrified of the conflict of sitting, having this conversation with our partner. Mm -hmm. And so we do like most people have the affair, right? Most people. Well, so maybe this is it. So I, I think partly for me, my desire, my drive, my passion in working with the idea of self abandonment with clients, with people who come to our retreats and all these things that we do around this topic is to help people understand. And I, and I talk about this a lot in my codependency work, right? That we are such black and white thinkers Mm -hmm. that it's this extreme or this extreme. I see no other option. I have to either act this way or this way. I have to do this thing or do this thing, right? That's not true. Actually, (laughs) we usually do have multiple options, whether it's in how we show up in how we process, whatever, whatever, you know, the thing is when we're acting out of a place of desperation, we only have this, we think we only have this one specific way of showing up, acting, doing whatever. But maybe some of the work is also around doing the work in between point A and point B so that you don't get to a place where you feel so desperate. You do things that actually are very traumatic to everybody around you. Because if I'm talking about this movie, it's like, or the show or whatever, there's an eight or nine month period in there that she references. Hmm. And she shows up at nine month point and does this thing where she blows everything up never says a word between point A and nine months. 
that yeah. to me, I think is where so much of my anger came from. And I think that not anger, I mean, yeah, it is judgment. And, and like we were saying earlier, it's my own personal stuff I have to work on, but it's almost like, can we start to break down some of the like relational bullshit that we have also created that makes us not have the capabilities to between point A and nine months to actually, like, we don't have to back ourselves into a corner, I guess. I'm not but articulating I, this well, but I know you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I do. And I think that is where you and I come in and what, yeah. what I think we attempt to no really do. No one wants do. to feel that way, by the way. No of one likes course. to feel desperate She feels to like a they... friggin' monster. You think right. whatever you're feeling and we're feeling about her, yeah. she's not like all of the self-loathing. Like, right. you know, I think our, our work is around attempting to support people in cultivating these tools, right? Yes. How to say the thing, say it imperfectly, but say, I'm going to say this imperfectly, but I'm going to start working on saying this because I don't want to get to that, right. that point of desperation, you know? And I had this realization yesterday of like something that I've been grappling with, with someone where I've just felt like, God, just like communicate with me, just like talk to me. It's not that hard. And I realized, Danae, this is a whole lot of therapy and a whole lot of years and training later that you're saying it from this perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was a time in your life, young woman, <laughs> where you didn't say the fucking where thing. You didn't know how to say things <laughs> yeah. to people where you, you know, left people high and dry, like wondering what the hell was going on mm -hmm. with you. Like that is real easy to say 20 years later, sweetheart. But there was a time where you did not have the tools that you have now. And I had such a wave of compassion, like wash over me. V. It was like, Oh my God, you mm -hmm. know, it is so easy to stand here like 20 years mm -hmm. on my later horse in my high therapy. horse, like just communicate, my God. And, and it's like, we forget what it feels mm -hmm. like to be not only so afraid of how, what you're going to say is going to be received, usually with some pretty good reasoning for feeling that way, based mm -hmm. on what you've experienced mm -hmm. in your past. Right. But also the deep, like self-contempt, like can't even look mm -hmm. myself in the mirror. I've been there. I've felt that like disgusted with who I am as a person for the ways that I've shown up in my relationships with other people so much so that I can't go look them in the eyes about what I've done, you know, but we forget, we get distance from that and we forget what that feels like, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is it, you guys, it's just all of us supporting each other. I think in this experience of learning, understanding, building resilience, capabilities, capacities that we have not been taught, that we did not learn from generations prior on how to show up and do the sticky, messy, gross work that it takes to actually, I don't know, show up authentically, no matter the cost. And, and maybe if it's possible, show up authentically throughout so that we don't have to get to a place where we're backed into a corner and we feel like we need to burn the fucking house down yeah. in order to be seen, in order to be heard, in order to feel something again, right? Because it's possible to feel, it, it's just that we, we have to choose that. And that's hard. That's the hard, that's the hard shit. But it's learning to stay with ourselves through the hard, you know, to mm -hmm. know that it gets a little bit easier the more that we do this thing that we sort of titrate into the experience of the hard, you know, we don't go balls out, we don't do it in one big gulp, mm -hmm. we sort of start to eat the elephant one bite at a time and we see like, oh, I actually can digest this thing. Um, but yeah, we need support. All of us need support. I don't know who I was talking to the other day about like what we should be able to do ourselves. I'm like, eh. 
nobody gets through this life without support. Every single person, whether like what you're saying about Carl Jung or like whoever it is that we revere and admire, they did not get to where they are by themselves. Everybody needs somebody. And I think the sooner we say, I need some support with this, I don't know, we're just like progressing so much quicker in our evolution. And the sooner we see like, oh, I can actually see, if I close my eyes, I can picture my eight, nine months down the road. And I can picture mm. myself lighting the match that burns the house down. Mm. And I don't want to get to that place. Yes. So I'm going to say right now I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to divert this path that I know where it goes. And I'm going to choose to do the hard work that it takes to actually not get to that, that place. Right. Because I think for some of us having that moment of like, oh my God, I see where this is going. I know for me, that's been profound. And I'll tell you, I, I, in my last relationship, I, I kind of in a way did burn the house down. Yeah. And it's not that I didn't try with whatever tools and capacities I had leading up to it, you know, but at the end of the day, I got to a place where I felt cornered and I burnt the house down. And I still don't love that. That's what I feel like had to happen. Right. I mean, I don't regret now on the other side where I'm at and what I've come through, but coulda, woulda, shoulda right? I give myself compassion. I, it's like you saying, like, I can be on my high horse of therapy, you know, and be like, just communicate. I mean, I wasn't then who I am now, obviously I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the experiences. Um, and if I did, maybe it wouldn't have gone that way, you know? And I know I'm only one person in that, but I just, I hope to give that to other people. You know, it's like, I hope to give to other people the tools and the capacities to, to maybe not get to the place of burning the house down if, it, if it's at all avoidable. Sometimes it's not, by the way. Yeah. Sometimes burning the house down is actually what we need to do in order to learn our lessons, right? But if it is avoidable and that shame and that self-loathing is avoidable by, by doing the things that, you know, leading up to it, then I hope to give that to whoever I can. It's so funny. I was having this conversation about with regret with a friend of mine the other night and why I don't believe in it. And I think, you know, to the point of what you were just making, I think most of us don't get to the point, this is just my theory, where we're really ready to like look inward and do some of this deep work until we've, in whatever form it looks like, burnt our own possible mm -hmm. house down until we get uncomfortable enough to really look at it and be like, what just happened, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was talking to this friend about all of this regret that he's carrying. And I was saying, I, I just don't believe in regret because I think for me to integrate all of these lessons, for me to be able to look at other people with compassion and understanding really like on a visceral level, I wouldn't be able to have that if I had not been there, if I had not been in my own version of burning my house down or whatever that looks like, but none of it's wasted if we're willing and open to holding it that way. Now, what we can do is say, how do I want to have forward momentum? How do I want to live my life differently moving forward? And hopefully that's what we try to support people in. You know, um, you can make a different choice right now, starting in this moment. Like, mm -hmm. no, you can't go back and do anything about what you did and the choices you made in the past, but right now you can make a different choice. <sighs> oh, so much. Well, so if it's you're listening to this, to human. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to this before January of 2022, mm -hmm. you should come and work on all of this in our week-long immersive from self-abandonment to inner belonging, the intensive, because this is what we're digging into. You know, I think what we have done and what we do is we gather up all of the tools that we have cultivated 
throughout um, our own personal journeys, our work with clients, um, what we have found is the most resonant, you know, really creates pattern interruption and lasting change. We've put them together in a series of ways that we work with people in this intensive experience. We could not be more excited to support people in this way. Yeah. And, you know, it's profound for us every time we do it too. Mm -hmm. Every time, you know, up until this point, we've done these in very like short, condensed, intense kind of three day, two and a half day weekends. And I know every time we've come out of that, you know, it's a bit like being in the fire. I know I have felt some kind of transmutation after each of those and, you know, reintegrating some new component to the self that I didn't realize, or I hadn't looked at, or I hadn't, you know, accepted or discovered. And so we'll be there with you. (laughs) Like we'll be right there with you. You know, this is not like, let me sit up on my high horse and point my finger at you and say, this is what you got to do. This is like today. And I sitting side by side with you and saying, let's do this together in the muck. Yeah, no, we heal together. We heal in community. And you're so right. Every single time I sit in community with a group of people, um, I deepen in my own healing a little bit more. I expand as a human a little bit more, which is why this is, um, this work is the love of my life. I'm, I'm going to get emotional saying it because, um, I'm always just, so amazed at our capacity to heal a little bit more and then a little bit more and a little bit more, you know? Mm. Well, we hope to see you guys there. And uh, if not, just keep your eyes open. We'll be doing more weekends online as well for those who can't attend in person, but the work continues. It's on uh, my website, vanessabennett.com backslash retreats. We do have payment plans available and um so yeah it's the first weekend of january it's in arizona carefree arizona and it's gonna be at a beautiful spa and resort i'm so excited dude i can't the massage let's be real all of it i can't wait it's gonna be awesome so we hope to see you all there thanks for joining us for this episode of cheaper than therapy if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.